The Big Scary Show is brought to you in part by Dark Imaginings. Web design, creepy changing portraits, and much, much more. DarkImaginings.com For the deepest, darkest clues, to the backwoods swamp at the bottom, to the inside of your casket, to the fears lying deep inside your subconscious, it's time for a big, scary show. Dunhill from the Solid Fear Factory, and you're listening to the Big Scary Show. Hi, my name's Rob Dunfield from the Solid Fear Factory, and you are listening to the Big Scary Show. Hi, everyone. I'm Spencer Terry, General Manager at Fear Factory Hunter House, and you're listening to the Big Scary Show. Hello, creeps. It's me, John Kassir, the voice of. The Crypt Keeper. <laughs> and you're listening to The Big Scary Show, the top podcast in the industry. <laughs> Hi, this is Jerome Helton from Hush Haunted Attraction from Westland, Michigan. And I just want to give a big shout out and welcome everybody out to The Scary Show. Hi, this is Pasta from Not Scary Farm, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. Hi, it's John Eslich with the Factory of Terror, Canton, Ohio, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. You're listening to The Big Scary Show with three big scary men and one that wears more makeup than I do. It is episode 212 of the Big Scary Show, and we are hoping everybody is doing okay and hunkering down in these crazy times with COVID-19, as well as all the recent protesting going on. But we want to bring you the newest episode of Big Scary Show, and starts out with the Roundtable of Terror returning as the hosts sit down with Heidi and Rob Dunfeld and Spencer Terry of the Salt Lake Fear Factory in Salt Lake City, Utah as they discuss their halfway to Halloween event that was the first of its kind in the industry to be contact free, COVID-19 and social distancing safe in the light of coronavirus outbreak and recent protesting in their area. They talk about the amount of effort and steps they took to keep the public, cast, and crew safe, and the effects, the changes it will possibly have on the industry and the 2020 haunt season as long as the pandemic continues. 
Badger reads Deadline News, and Storm rants about an orchestra trapped in a haunted castle patrolled by wolves during the pandemic in a hot minute. Meat Hook Jim returns with Between the Corpses and talks about funeral customs in Ireland. We have a new gruesome giveaway. Lysa returns with the haunted vista talking about the horror of it all, part one, and his choices for the best 100 horror and Halloween movies, and always spinning spooky tunes for you. All this and more on episode 212 of The Big Scary Show. Hope everybody stays safe and keeps it scary. Enter the haunted world of Fright Find and discover an environment dedicated to promoting your haunt. Target customers who will influence others on attending haunt attractions as Fright Find brings in scream seekers looking for haunted places, events, and accommodations of every sort. Various exposure options give you the ability to reach your audience throughout the year. Don't be afraid. Go to FrightFind.com now to add your haunt for free. And see for yourself the difference Fright Find will make in your haunt listing. Valentine Wolf. Black Black Kisses. On the Big Scary Show.
Preacher with the Atom Brain. A motion picture shot full of thrills based on scientific facts described in leading national magazines. You'll be hypnotized. You'll be terrorized. You'll be paralyzed. See a dead man come from beyond the grave. See Columbia Pictures startling. Preacher with the Atom Brain. Ohio Haunted House Owners, Actors and Enthusiasts, join the new Ohio Haunters Association. We are working with haunters across the state, from home to pro, to strengthen the Ohio haunt community. Open to all owners, actors, makeup artists, prop builders, designers, and Halloween paranormal enthusiasts. The Ohio Haunters Association, where haunting is the heart of it all. Look for us on Facebook. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it is time for Deadline News here on The Big Scary Show with your host, me, Drew Badger bringing you all the latest in the haunted house, Halloween, and horror industries. Hey folks, it's Drew Badger. This is Deadline News for episode 212, and if you haven't heard it yet, we're going to start off with some sad news from one of our own. The Big Scary Show is sad to report the passing of industry legend Robbie LaPree of Tampa, Florida, on June 1st from (laughs) multiple health issues. Robbie was the retired director of theatrical services at Busch Gardens Tampa and the recipient of the 2018 Lifetime Achievement Award from the Haunted Attraction Association. She had more than 40 years of theme park leadership experience at Busch Gardens as entertainment director, project manager, technical director, and producer for award-winning live shows and events. In addition, she co-created Bush Gardens' Hallow Scream Halloween event and Christmas Town. She was an amazing and sweet lady, and speaking personally, even though I only knew her for a couple of years, she always treated me like an old friend. The Big Scary Show sends its deepest condolences to the family and friends of Robbie Parsons Lepree and offers up this moment of silence. On a little happier note, we have this update from the ScareFest coming to Lexington, Kentucky. Make your plans now for ScareFest 2020, October 23rd through the 25th at the Lexington Convention Center. After a brief shuffling of resources and a steep learning curve to move our ticket sales in-house versus using a third party, our single-day and weekend passes are now available for purchase. A new option for 2020 is the Weekend Family Pass Bundle. If you have a family of four, or a family of three and a friend, or there's two of you and you have two friends, or it's just you and you have three friends, you get the idea. You can save over 15% by purchasing via the bundle. Just click the ticket link from the website, thescarefest.com, and get yours now. We have this update to the Outbreak on Maine's Camp Deadwood coming to Wingfield, Tennessee. 
Due to COVID-19 concerns, we are sorry to announce that the decision has been made to cancel Camp Deadwood for 2020. All refunds will be issued through the point of purchase. We're working on bringing the event back in the spring or summer of 2021. Keep up with any and all updates at their Facebook page, facebook.com slash frightmareforest08. There's some more convention news. This is an update from Days of the Dead coming to Indianapolis. It is with great pleasure that we announce the addition of actress Scout Taylor Compton to the guest roster for Days of the Dead Indianapolis happening July 17th through the 19th at the Marriott Center, Indianapolis. Scout is best known for her portrayal of Laurie Strode in Rob Zombie's Halloween and Halloween 2, as well as playing Lita Ford in the film The Runaways. She's also appeared in horror movies such as Wicked Little Things and American Crime and Ghost House. Tickets and more info for Days of the Dead Indianapolis can be purchased at daysofthedead.com. We have this news from the Creep It Real OC, or Orange County Expo, in Santa Ana, California. Valentine Productions is thrilled to host our second annual Halloween Expo in Orange County on September 13th. New this year, Creep It Real OC Expo will take place at an exciting, centrally located outdoor venue. We are inviting all artists and haunt community leaders, as well as Halloween superfans and their families, to join us in honoring the spirit of Halloween in Orange County. We are eager to create and share an environment where local vendors, DIYers, and haunt passionates join together as prime haunt time ramps up to further ignite the excitement of this spooky season. Creep It Real OC Expo will be promoted through social media and the local press. Admission tickets are available through Eventbrite, and we expect a good turnout of attendees, and we'd be thrilled to have your customers and followers attend Creep It Real OC Expo. Please follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash creepitrealoc and Instagram at creepitrealoc for details as they <clears throat> creep up. Speaking of creepy, we have this news from CreepyCon in Knoxville, Tennessee. Dear CreepyCon friends, we have received news from our venue that the city of Knoxville will not permit more than 750 people at a time at inside venues for events until further notice due to the COVID-19 pandemic concerns. This includes vendors, staff, and guests. For this reason, we have determined it will not be financially sound for any of us, and we are postponing the event until 2021. We're also committed to keeping you safe by not hosting an event that encourages the gathering of friends from around the southeast, which would also increase the risk of contracting the virus. CreepyCon Halloween and Horror Convention will be held August 20 through the 22nd, 2021, at the Jacob Building in Chihuahua Park in Knoxville. If you've already paid for your booth fee, we'll transfer your booth reservations and fee to 2021. Please feel free to reply to the organizers directly with any questions you may have. We look forward to seeing you all in 2021. Stay creepy. Keep up with their updates at creepyconknoxville.com. 
Remember, folks, if you have news in the haunted house, Halloween, or horror industries, and you want it on the show, email it to us, news at bigscaryshow.com, and we'll get it on the show. No news is too big or too small. This concludes this edition of the Big Scary Show's Deadline News. <laughs> Greetings, listeners, and welcome. Watch out. Don't trip over that torso. It's time for Between the Corpses. Greetings, listeners. Meat Hook Jim here. And this time on Between the Corpses, we're going to talk about burial practices in Celtic Ireland. So the earliest method of disposing of the dead was by simply internment. And this was common throughout Europe close to the Stone Age. The body was laid in a recumbent sitting or standing position. In the case of a chief or warrior, the latter was the usual method. He was clad in full apparel with his ornaments and weapons. Eogan Ben, Eogan Bell, king of Connacht, ordered that his grave should be dug in his own wrath and his body buried with his red spear in his hand and his face to the north. He and the Altonians were always at war, and this disposition of the body had such an effect on the latter, causing them great terror, that they caused the remains to be exhumed. Man's belief in spiritual existence was the cause of respect for the dead and it is supposed primitive races were prompted to build cairns and mounds in order to prevent the return of the spirit to the earth. The dead were believed to require servants, food, raiment, and a home such as they had in this life. The Celtic tribes believed that the spirit of their dead chief would keep watch and ward over them. Caesar tells us that the Gauls burned some of their servants, slaves, and favorite animals of the dead chief or warrior on celebrating their funeral rites. During the Bronze Age, cremation and inhumation were practiced. Cremation was probably confined to the chiefs, heroes, and other important personages. Urns contending incinerated remains have been found in most parts of Ireland. It would seem that cremation was introduced by a new conception of the relation of the soul to the body. According to this new view, the soul could not go to spirit land until that body had been destroyed by burning. Well, a little interesting thing about uh, Celtic Ireland. Uh, burning seems to be a common commonplace thing here, and cremation obviously goes on to this day, so... Think about that, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Want to take your haunt to a new dimension of terror? Then let Dark Imaginings conjure up some ghoulish graphics and web design services for your home, haunt, or crypt. Mm. To see more of our products and services, drop by. Darkimaginings.com 
Let us help you get ahead of your competition. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very special edition of the Roundtable of Terror. As you may know, there's a lot of weird and crazy and scary things going on in the world right now, but one of the things that haunt owners have absolutely been focused on is, will there be a haunt season this year? You know, as you may have heard on the news the last couple of weeks, we have been getting reports that several haunts around the country are just saying, we're not going to open in 2020. We're going to concentrate on 2021. Too much uncertainty. Don't know how we're going to handle crowds and sanitation and social distancing and all that. Well, there's been one haunt over the last few weeks that have been making a, a bit of a splash on social media and such because they have or they were given the go-ahead to run their halfway to Halloween event this past weekend. Uh, basically less than 48 hours since they were open, we managed to get them on the line. We are, of course, talking about the Salt Lake Fear Factory in Salt Lake City, Utah. And about three or four weeks ago, through a very strange set of circumstances, Heidi, one of the owners, called me up, and we arranged to get them on the show to talk about how their weekend went. So we want to introduce our guests tonight from the Fear Factory. We have owners Rob and Heidi Dunfield in Salt Lake City. How are you two doing? Great. How are you? Hello. <laughs> it is great to have you guys here and thank you for taking the time. Thanks and we also off. have absolutely and we also have Spencer Terry, who I believe is the general manager of the Fear Factory. He was probably hands deep in it over the weekend. How are you, Spencer? I'm well. Yeah, it's been a it's been an awesome 48 hours, but all is well. Glad to be here. Excellent. As well as our normal co-hosts. First of all, up in Rhode Island, about as far away from Utah as you can get in the U.S., we have Storm. Or not? I am here. I'm just having some <laughs> issues with my mic and and things running weird on Skype. But yes, I am here. I've fought the lawn and ran out of paint and stuff to do outside because it's absolutely gorgeous here in Rhode Island with the weather. So, yay. Fantastic. Down in Cincinnati, Ohio, we have Meat Hook Jim. I spent the day at the gun shop, uh, bought a new pistol for the wife with all this unrest. She was a little nervous, so, you know, now we're protected. There you go. Up in Columbus, Ohio, our resident haunt-strumentalist, Mr. Jerry Vane. I just put on a face mask and, face mask and went out into COVIDville and uh, bought a new computer. So, hey. <laughs> Excellent. Maybe we'll get good reception. My name is Drew Badger outside Charlotte, North Carolina, spending a harrowing two hours in the car teaching my son how to drive today. So and basically you're not... drinking again. Oh, yes, I am, indeed. Anyway, um, Heidi, Rob, Spencer, we have not asked you how it was. We do know that the Saturday show was postponed due to, shall we say, civil unrest. But you did operate on Friday 
May 29th. And uh, you have uh, you have promised to be brutally honest with us, and I'll ask you, how did it go? <laughs> <laughs> well, Friday night actually went off without a hitch. We were we were on pins and needles, wondering, you know, how would um, how would our staff be? How would the customers react to the social distancing, and would they, you know, follow all the rules? And we're pleased to report that they did. And we were actually, they were very, it was very well behaved. They were like our super fans. And we were also watching to see how the city and, and the health department was going to react. And, 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 and so, yeah, we were, we were watching on everything. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we that, so, so, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. No, I was going to say, uh, yeah, we were, we, we were expecting a visit from the health department you know, kind of check us out and make sure that we were following everything and and uh, no visit. Apparently, they were well. No visit that we know of. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, uh, they were they have a hotline and they were waiting for phone calls and they didn't get any phone calls into their hotline according to our consultant. So they yeah. were you know pleased. Everything must have been okay. So did you have to notify the health department that you were planning on going on with this halfway to Halloween event? And and if so, did they give you some guidelines or what were some of the procedures that you went through that you normally wouldn't do in an event like halfway to Halloween, which I believe this was your fourth year doing so? Yes, Spencer, did you want to go over some of the procedures or... Yeah, sure. Let's just, it's a 35 page document. There's about 20 items on each page. I'll just start up page one. <laughs> we'll just go from there. Uh, yeah, the reality is. You can, you can give us the cliff notes. That'll be fine. I'll, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll save you all the, the, the beauty of it. Um, in the end, uh, it, it was an uphill battle. Not going to lie. Uh, I think um, uh, my wife says, I don't know the last time I've lost this much sleep and did this much work for something that was only 48 hours. Um, but I think ultimately at the end of the day, like, I mean, as a team, we all pulled it together. We all worked around the clock. Our, our owners were all doing some, some part of this big plan. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, it, it takes a lot of communication and certainly a lot of planning and research and networking and connecting the dots and uh, we knew our team could execute it, and it was just a matter of, of getting the opportunity to do that. And so being able to put this plan together that we have, them, you know, we, we released a plan originally the first week of May. Uh, we did, you know, we sent that to, the, to our, our governor, to our county mayor, to our city mayor, and said, here's our plan. It's seven pages long. Please shoot some holes in it and call us. We'd love to, we want to be able to open, and we want to be able to do it safely and successfully. And uh, we didn't hear a thing, and that's you know we we were certainly working on a big plan anyway that continued to grow to 12, 15, 20 pages, and then we brought in a third party health uh, health professional who kind of did a big inspection, and now we're at 35 pages, and uh, I, I don't know that you can shoot any more bullets at this thing, but it it doesn't penetrate, so it's been really good to see our team be able to actually uh, to be able to pull this off. Um, it's I I don't know that we could. I don't know if we could do this any better. I, I feel literally like it was about 100% as good as it could have been. For um, haunt owners around the country that are listening to this, um, and I don't know if you know the answer to this, how 
open is the state of Utah versus other states as far as allowing people to, you know, congregate in crowds and go to events like this? Are there still severe restrictions or are you a little bit more lax than, than other states? Uh, I think, I well, Utah is a red state. I think we are a little bit more lax than some of the states. We actually never shut down. The entire state um, was one of eight states that didn't shut down. So, uh, but there are restrictions. I mean, right now there's no mass gatherings, um, and they say mass gatherings over um, over a thousand people. Uh, you can only have twenty people in a group. Um, different restrictions like that. One of the interesting things, and, and we wanted to actually do halfway the Halloween kind of in a more restricted phase. So in Utah, we have four phases. We have red, uh, orange, which we're current. Uh, well, I'll go through it. Red, orange, which is moderate. Yellow is uh, low risk. And green is like the new normal. Uh, we Utah as a whole is under yellow. So it's pretty open. Everything's, you know, swimming pools are open things you know are happening but salt lake is the only area within utah right now that is a orange level so we're at moderate risk and we're having we're salt lake city so we're having to operate to higher standards and uh it's it you know definitely we had uh, there was a higher bar for us um but i think i don't i don't know i mean if you can operate in the most strict standards then it makes it easier to be able to operate when it is lower, when we are at yellow, when we are at green. So it, it was, you know, kind of a blessing in disguise, I guess. And Drew, I think that's probably something that'll be clear for, you know, everyone listening to this around the world is, you know, obviously every state is different. Every county's different. Every city's different. And what's going to work for us. And like Heidi said, I mean, our goal was let's run this as if we were in red. Um, I mean, let's make this as hard as we can and can we do it? And I mean, you know, there was so much overkill that was above and beyond. I think we had like over 20 points. Um, the, the state guidelines alone were probably close to 80, 90 different points that we had to actually abide by and say that we could comply. But then we had 20 additional things just to say we went above and beyond um, because we wanted to be able to, to really test our own strength to say, can we handle this so that if things get worse again and this potential resurgence comes in the fall, we want to be ready and we want to be able to know that the plan worked um, and, and and go for it. So I think for everyone listening, it's it's good to remember that we're in orange and, and every state's different and you just take it as a grain of salt, but um, you'll be able to hopefully do the best you can in your market. How was the reaction by the media when you said that, yes, we're opening? Were they... Or did you advertise, hey, we have safety procedures in effect, or hey, just come and get scared like you normally would and don't even notice that we have safety procedures in effect, or or how did that work out? Yeah, the, uh, the media was actually pretty kind um, to us. I think that they were more interested in, you know, what are the safety, how, how are you going to still have fun and have the safety uh, Rob actually was met with, you know, had a morning show that he did. Yeah, one of the one of the stations that comes usually every year um, called us and actually wanted to do their morning show on Friday morning to to talk about how we were going to operate and and 
still be able to do what we do and and make it safe to where people would feel comfortable coming. So that was kind of almost every segment they hit on some of the safety stuff and a lot of the things just, I think, to make people feel aware that we're not just opening and it's, and it clearly was not the same as opening last October. We made our safety plan goes into detail of how um, we've limited the number of people on property from a lot of different things that we do to all the social distancing stuff. I mean, we had to kind of explain to people, don't come expecting to be standing in the graveyard with your friends all close to you and waiting for two hours having fun like they usually do. It was a whole new way of doing things. And I think one that? thing I can, I think that was really good and Heidi, forgive me for telling the world this ahead of time. Um, there's beauty in having people at the table who think differently because um, when Heidi first called me, it was like, hey, let's actually hold off on pushing a really big marketing push for this until the week. And I was like, oh, my gosh, no way. Like, we're the first in the world to do this. Let's totally get it out there. And the reality is that she's right. And, and being able to say, you know, let's hold hold our cards and we can kind of let we controlled our own marketing from our social media side. Um, but then when we finally put the press release out and kind of released everything formally to the media, um, they jumped on that opportunity because they had kind of been getting these little teasers here and there, like, well, it looks like Fear Factory's opening and they're kind of talking about this and why are they bringing up all this safety stuff for an operation? Um, and it worked out incredibly well. I mean, we, I, I think since, the, since Heidi sent the press release out, we had media, either we were meeting with them, we were on the phone with them daily for a week straight, um, which usually doesn't happen even in October. So it was a, it was a good strategy that worked really well. And I think the whole, you know, banging the drum of safety is key. Um, you know, we're, there's kind of this new normal now, but folks have to know that they're safe before they're going to give you their money. And I think that's ultimately one of the big learning moments is that um, you can't just market your event as if it's same old, same old. That there, you got to talk about the safety and talk about the measures that you're doing first, and then they'll buy their tickets. And sure enough, in talking to customers coming out the exit, you know, they by far is the best show we've ever had and, and all these great things. But, but they also talked about, like, it's kind of nice to actually see people just cleaning more often. And I, I don't know how many times I heard people say it was the cleanest bathroom, the cleanest porta potty I've ever been to in my life. Because uh, we're cleaning porta potties every, literally every time someone used them. So I think those are all good things just to keep in mind. I, uh, one of the things that we actually didn't start our paid marketing until the week of. So uh, we were just, you know, word of mouth and some social media posts for all the sales before that. One thing I can honestly say is I don't think there's a loss of market at all. I think that people are excited to go to haunted houses. I think if people are worried about, you know, are people going to feel safe? Are people going to want to come? They want to come. We tracked our, our sales, uh, you know, day-to-day and compared them to our halfway to Halloween event last year, day-to-day, you know, for the same day. And we were ahead, you know, first we were double and then we were triple and then we were quadruple and then it just blew it out. We were, we we daily stayed ahead um, of the, like, it was, we could have sold way more tickets than we did. And um, it's not a loss of market. The biggest challenge really is with the government, with your local regulations, because 
the customers are still loving it. I mean, even in May when it's 100 degrees outside, it's selling out, you know, and people are still showing up even though there's a riot and you have to shut down. So. Yeah, literally. I mean, last night alone, there's a riot happening less than two miles away from us. And there's, you know, pandemic happening in the middle of of downtown Salt Lake. And we have people coming to our gates. They're like, what what do you mean you have to close? Like, yeah, they're they're coming. They want to be here. I want to remind everybody you are listening to the Roundtable of Terror with Heidi and Rob Dunfield from Fear Factory. Spencer Terry, also from Fear Factory in Salt Lake City, talking about their halfway to Halloween opening that was unfortunately cut in half, but we're finding out all the safety and other procedures they use to stay open. And all you other haunt owners out there, I hope you're paying close attention. We're going to take a real short break here to pay a couple of bills, and we will be right back. In 1897, Dr. Alexander Hammond arrived at an institution for the criminally insane, only to discover the unsolved murders of several guards. Drivers, where are we? Jerry Bain takes you into Black Moon Asylum, a twisted abyss of torment, madness, and the horrifying mystery of Patient 292. Time for your medication. Black Moon Asylum, a symphonic journey into darkness from instrumentalist Jerry Vane. Download Black Moon Asylum at jerryvane.com, iTunes, cdbaby.com, Amazon MP3, and your favorite download site. And we are back to a very special roundtable of terror here on The Big Scary Show. We are talking to Heidi and Rob Dunfield, Spencer Terry from the Salt Lake Fear Factory in Salt Lake City, Utah, that less than 48 hours after this recording put on their halfway to Halloween event. I'm sure haunt owners from all over the country have been paying attention to this haunt and their opening weekend. And uh, Jerry, we were talking off the break. You had a question you wanted to them to elaborate on. Yeah, basically if you guys could without giving up secrets, how do you, were you guys able to keep the social distancing aspect between the actors and the customers, between the customers and the customers, um, and then the whole, whole, you know, aspect of keeping everybody safe. What exactly, what precautions did you have to go into to take into effect that, you know, the city and the health, uh, co- you know, health codes and everything to make it the su- success it was? Spencer, why don't you take the part about the uh, what we had to do to make the customers safe, and then I'll talk about what we did with the actors. Cool. Sounds good. Um, and, then, and then I'll talk about what we did to market to be safe and, 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 say, and give yeah. <laughs> tell Excellent. them what they're going to have to do. Communicating, those, communicating that plan is, is, is tricky yeah. in its own right. Um, so ultimately, you know, we, we have this, this we have this long document from the state from, uh, from Utah that says, these are the things that you're required to do if you're an employer and you want to open, or if you're a business owner and you want to open, here's essentially all the hoops you're going to have to jump through. Um, and as Heidi was saying earlier, you know, we are in a red state. Uh, we were one of the, one of the states that did not completely close quarantine. Um, however, at the same time, it's also been hard to move into an open space because it, it, you know, the state has said, here's all the, everyone gets to open. Yay. It's going to be great. We're in, we're going to move to moderate risk or low risk, but PS, you have to still abide by all these guidelines. And those hoops are really quite tricky. Um, you know, obviously there's the six foot, um, 
the six foot guideline. Um, this was something specifically that the health department literally told us uh, and said, quite frankly, we, we're going to call BS on it. We don't think you can do it. Uh, we don't think you can keep households apart. We don't think you can do six foot distancing. Uh, so that was kind of a uh, that was that was a way for us to say, cool, thanks for your input. Game on. Um, you know, obviously checking temperatures, uh, symptom checking, uh, we're all required to be able to check, uh, or all of our staff was re- required to have masks. Um, and we decided not to go that route with customers, uh, just because of a, a PR and B that, you know, there, there's an infringement, right. As far as what people can and can't do. And so I think being able to say, we'll, we'll take care of all the, pre- the preventative measures we can on our end. And then from a customer perspective, we're going to kind of leave that up to you. Um, so there were other things, you know, as far as, um, minimizing face-to-face interactions or, uh, even for our team, you know, you think about when you go to an event or an attraction, you've got staff that are, you know, they're putting on a wristband or they're, uh, checking your tickets and they usually take your phone from you to be able to scan that, or maybe it's a piece of paper, uh, or they're stamping a hand. All of those things had to go out the window. Uh, we adopted a complete no contact strategy, um, which was everything from, uh, internal from our makeup room that Rob can probably talk more about to uh, not letting our staff do anything within that six foot distance, um, which included, you know, for example, when you uh, when you come into the uh, into our queue area, uh, our staff would ask you to put your phone on a table and then step back into your into your line, and then that way it ensured the six foot distancing. And then the staff person would walk up to the phone, be able to scan it, everything looks great, and then they would go ahead and. Uh, and keep going. So um, all of those things were just lots and lots and lots of hoops that we had to jump through. Um, and I think the hardest part uh, ultimately was not just queuing and making sure the distance was good inside the haunt, uh, or excuse me, in not just the queue, but also inside. And when it came to our flows, you know, every now and then in a haunted house, you're going to have a bottleneck or you're going to have one person who's slower or faster than the other. And those two groups bunch up. Uh, and we were told specifically that we there would be people watching to see if that would happen. And so we added uh, a lot of extra staff on our flow team and security and safety team to make sure that those were all in motion uh, and that people were moving consistently. And then same thing, uh, the last thing was sanitation. And uh, they, quite frankly, said, you're a haunted house. You're in an abandoned cement factory that's over 100 years old. There's not really a way that you're going to be able to keep that place clean. And again, we kind of stepped up to the challenge and said, yeah, we can do that. Um, It's a little silly, but literally we're talking about sanitizing, um, you know, nylon rope, Uh, not even nylon, but synthetic and the ropes that we're using for cues. And that was a suggestion that they may not want that. And, um, And being able to do gloves. Uh, we offered for all of our customers, it was an optional item that you we, we brought in a lot of hand sanitizer and hand sanitizing stations. And in addition to that, we also did gloves. And, and a lot of the customers, um, some took them, some did not take them. But those are all things that either were required of us to do, um, and some of those were above and beyond items that we did in addition to what we were required to do. So certainly a lot uh, a lot of hoop jumping and uh, double, triple checking, you know, what's the difference between a guideline and a mandated um, must and required versus a uh, shall or could or may. So uh, there, there was certainly some legal, some legal jumping as well. Um, <clears throat> with the, uh, with the actors also, when they came on property, they had to be checked 
uh, temperature-wise, and then they were asked a series of questions if they've been out of the state or if they've had any um, sickness in the last week or fever or, or any uh, aches or pains or symptoms of being sick. Um, and that was all done before they even got onto property. Once they were cleared to come onto property, um, then we had to continue to reinforce the six-foot social distancing between the actors, which was hard to do because they're used to being really close to each other and Hugging. giving each other hugs and high fives. And so we that was something we drilled in from the very get-go. And we decided to open. We had to get everybody on board and re- let them realize that they had to um, make some changes and, and really comply to these new rules, but everybody did it pretty well. Yeah, a few were reminders here and there. Um, during rehearsals, we, we, we did some rehearsals beforehand, and, and that was a, a good practice moment, and there was some reminding of them to keep them separated. But um, And then the other thing, throughout the haunted house, here's the big one keeping your monster, your, your actors six feet away from the public and still being able to get scares. So to do that, we kind of redesigned a lot of the haunted house. We had to move anything that could touch customers' faces or arms or brush them or they had, it could bump into as they're going through. We had to move anything like that out of the pathway and make a clear, unobstructed pathway. Um, and then we would set up areas where an actor could be seen and be six feet away from the patrons as they pass through. But they also, we also um, made more buttons that they could push that would trigger an air horn right next to the person as they were walking through their area or um, trigger an animatronic or air blast or something at their feet. So in a way, we kind of redesigned it from the actor being up close to do the scare to being more of the distraction. And then they had a lot of trigger ways to do the scare up close to the person, um, which is the total reverse of what we've done in the past, a lot of um, set design. So that was a big change, but I think for the most part, it really worked. And then the other thing was all of the actors had to wear PPE. They had to have, um, their nose and mouth covered with some kind of cloth or, or protective equipment. Um, we immediately started looking for ways to do that, where we could cover masks and hide them in their costumes and things. And we ordered some masks from Inferno Effects, some really neat quarter masks That's that looking. cover just over the nose and mouth that could cover PPEs. And then our makeup artists and team went to town designing new ways to incorporate those into the zones with airbrush. All the makeup team went strictly to airbrush where no brushes were used, no touching of the face or the person was done during the application of any makeup. Um, And basically uh, all the costumes were kind of just redesigned to incorporate the PPE that was required, which was all actors, all people, all uh, employees on property had to have face covering a mask on. At the, our, our costume, our makeup and costuming team did a fabulous job and they actually had the costumes already assigned out to each actor that was on the schedule and had their name on a hanger, you know, and had the costume for them. And they were distributed to them. Uh, you know, each one of them. But at the end of the night, well, we thought we were going to open on Saturday. So I guess this didn't have to be done in this way. But at the end of the night, 
you know, Rob had this great idea. Let's bring it all into, you know, the downstairs shop area. And just, we used one of those uh, foggers, the handheld fogger, like disinfectant foggers. And just, they disinfected like every piece of, you know, all, all the costumes and everything. So that was, that was great. And that was a quick, fast way to do it for one something night. New. Yeah, something new that we hadn't ever done before. How long did all of this take to get into place before uh, before you got the approval to do all this? I mean, the rehearsals and, and ordering all this. How long did all this take? Well, we were planning on opening the 15th, the weekend of the 15th. But because at that point... We didn't the, feel ready. The, we didn't feel ready. And, and we were still at a higher threat level all over the state, I think, the... the the color yeah. level was higher, and so we thought there's no way they're gonna um, let us high. really. And and we didn't at that point. Um, we kind of postponed and let the our fans know that we weren't going to be opening those dates. And then like that weekend after that, we heard that they were moving to orange level and the yellow. thing or yellow level. Or well, sorry, and, orange um, and Salt Lake. Orange and Salt Lake. Yeah, orange and Salt Lake, yellow for the rest of the state, and that things would be loosening up people some restaurants and things would be reopening and and certain things were going to be able to start happening people could go back to work again um and so we thought well let's get it back on the schedule we we think we can still do this it's still close to halfway to halloween let's put it back on the schedule so we did we put it out two weeks and scheduled it for the 29th and 30th and from that moment forward i think we were just full steam ahead trying to plan and and it was a day-to-day process of communication Zoom um, meetings. meetings and every day we'd get new updates of what we can and can't do and so it was, it was definitely a fluid situation all the way it was funny because like the the governor's um you know orders that the requirements were changing not just daily, but hourly. So we couldn't like to figure out what we could do and what we could get away with and what we couldn't get away with. It could, it would change. Like we'd be in the middle of making a plan and we'd have to go back and check it and it would have already changed. And I think it was probably the end of April that we said, we're going forth. We're going to do these dates. And uh, so we had a little over a month to get everything together. Um, you know, but in the back of our mind before that, we'd kind of been planning like, this is what we should do if we go, if we're able to, you know, it so it it had kind of been pseudo planned, and then the end of April it started really getting planned. A lot of Zoom meetings with our staff, a lot of, um, you know, just figuring out. With Utah being red, we didn't really have to get approval to open. We're you know we just had to follow the guidelines, um, which I think will be different from any haunt that has to get a mass gathering permit, and it's different in every area. But, you know, mass gathering permits, you have to get approval. For us, it was just, you know, kind of like we're a restaurant and you, you know, you follow the rules and you get to reopen. And so it was, you know, not horrible, but we did have quite a bit of hoops as far as, you know, sanitation and and staffing and stuff that we had to jump through. Yeah, I think the moment, uh, the moment Transworld officially called it um, and, and none of us were, were able to go do what we love every year. Um, I think that's kind of the aha moment of, all right, what do we need to start getting ready for? And, and immediately, I mean, 
Heidi was on the phone with a lot of our suppliers and saying, "Hey, I I need alcohol. I need I need I you know I need my isopropyl for my makeup." <laughs> not that kind. Right. Oh yeah, not that alcohol. No, I um, need that too. Sheesh, I feel yeah. That was after everything was over. Too. I need I need a five gallon of, of that as well. It is um, Utah too. You might have to make a call to get that done anyway. Yeah, well, I might need to phone a friend. You know, Drive down to Nevada and bring it back up. When yeah. everything was getting just wiped out and cleared out, we thought uh, we need alcohol just to run our season. Like even if we don't open for halfway to Halloween, that's what you know. All of our our makeup is alcohol based, um, and so we, you know, had to. I don't know. We went to our makeup shop that we buy a lot of stuff from, and we placed placed a huge like five gallon order with them of alcohol. Um, you know, just to make sure and get it before there was nothing left. It was crazy because none of us knew really when things would be restocked or, you know, if things would return to normal again anytime soon. Alcohol still hard to find. So just little things like that, that you had to kind of hurry and jump in motion and just start buying things. And I think that's the, I think that's probably, a, you know, one of the big messages and learning moments certainly for us is that proactiveness is going to pay off. Um, the reality is, is that you know if there is any kind of a resurgence or if there is a concern and um, governments are making decisions again to say no, we're not opening our state or yes, you can't open your business or no, you can't. Um, you know, regardless where you are on that fence, the reality is, is there's only so many things you can and can't do. And um, I think being prepared for that is key. And it, that's you know that's essentially why we you know we designed this contingency plan. That's I mean it's part of why it's called a contingency plan is because it's contingent upon whether we're in orange risk or yellow risk or red risk. Um, and there's different things that we have to do in each of those levels. And so being able to at least be prepared um, is key. And we, we have a, a haunted house locally that called and said, hey, I, I need hand sanitizer. Like, I can't find it anywhere. And I want to open, but I can't find it. And I think being able to, and we certainly helped to, to connect those dots for them. And, and I think at this point, Having those resources and those supplies ahead of time um, is going to help that, you know, it may be what's going to ultimately determine whether folks can or can't open. Yeah, get get everything you can get now. You know, even if you choose not to open or if you're unable to open, you know, that stuff can be used later on. Um, but, yeah, right now it's like just having to search for supplies and find it while you can because it doesn't, it kind of stinks trying to get it last minute. You pay a lot more for it. I'm impressed you were able to get large amounts of hand sanitizer. I haven't seen it in the stores in two months, and I'm not even going to delve into toilet paper. Oh, good Lord. I assume you guys had to stock up on that as well. Yeah, we we were we were well stocked with everything, and, and we were stocked for two days, so we're still well stocked. <laughs> now, now, something you said earlier about the queue lines. Um, were, were you doing timed ticketing? I mean, that's been a thing for a while, and how much of your tickets were pre-sale versus just people walking up? We did 100% pre-sale. We, we, we didn't even have any um, ticket you know, box offices open. We, weren't going, we marketed that we were not going to be selling any on-site, and we didn't. Uh, we were completely sold out uh, probably about five hours before we opened on Friday. Um, so it was 100% online. Yeah, well, yeah, we were sold out for both days. Friday, we did so well with the time ticketing. It, um, it was time ticketing. It was the first time we we attempted that. So we were we went in really conservative. 
um, with how many people we were allowing in each half hour slot. Um, and, you know, by the end of the night, we thought, okay, we did pretty well at this. We can add more. So let's add some more inventory into Saturday. So we did that, and then it sold out, and then Saturday happened. And I think, I don't, I don't think we've even talked about our occupancy levels yet, um, but that was one of the key uh, key factors to being able to control um, how many bodies were essentially on our property, which we included our, is our staff as well. Um, and so we looked at you know the numbers that we typically would run, and then we looked at the guidelines, uh, and we said, okay, so what do we have to do? I mean, at some point there, you know, back at the end of April. Um, there was someone had po put out in the state that for every one person, I, Heidi, do you or Rob, do you do either of you remember what that was? It was like three cubic feet per one person. Um, um, no, it was like thirty-seven. It was thirty. I, I, it wasn't our state. It was IAPA. I think they had a, a recommendation of like thirty-seven feet per person um, that you have on your property, and we figured. I can't even remember what we figured, yeah. when, but it was quite. Quite a bit. I mean, we were well within. Um, yeah. we. And thank goodness for us, you know, our queue line's outside, and there's been years where that has not been a good thing, um, obviously weather factoring into that. But in this case, it's the best thing that we could ever have um, because uh, even our, our health professionals said, well, you know, that's the beauty is that you've got at least an outdoor queue because folks have an indoor queue. You know, then they have to deal with air ventilation and support systems and filters, and, and how are they going to be able to do that? And, uh, and thank goodness for us, you know, we made a couple of really good decisions even before Disney and Universal released their plans of using an every other queue line, um, which worked out really well. And now we're seeing them adopt a lot of the same principles that we've also put in place. Um, we had, I mean, we looked at just even occupancy load in general being greatly, greatly reduced. I mean, Heidi was saying that uh, an amusement park uh, here locally is they're open, but they're open at 15.15% occupancy. And you can imagine how that's impacting the bottom line. And so same thing for us, you know, we looked at our occupancy to load and said, you know, let's 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 look at reducing this to 55 or 60% or more and can we run numbers safe enough? Um, and at the end of the day, we wanted to take it a little bit easy on us um, on our end because quite frankly, we wanted to absolutely guarantee that this event would work. Um because we realized it, at that point, it's not about Fear Factory's reputation, but we have an entire industry's reputation that if one bad thing happened, then other states can use that in court and say, no, we're not going to let these entertainment attractions open because this is what happened in Utah. And so, in fact, quite the opposite is now happening where we did have a successful event on Friday. We are able to, you know, we're putting a post-show a post report together and we're, we're collecting some data and as much as we can and we're going to get that out. Because ultimately, that's the goal is how do we help pave this road so that other haunted houses can say, hey, listen, I know we're in yellow or we're in orange, but Fear Factory did it, and here's the plan they had, and go to their health departments and say, can we adopt these same principles, and if so, will you let us open? So fingers crossed that'll work. With you running the uh, diminished numbers as far as attendees, what about your staff? Were you relying more on animatronics versus actors? Did you use half the number of actors you normally would or two-thirds or three-quarters? Or were you at full staff for an event such as this? I think we were at about three-quarters. About three-quarters, yeah. Yeah, three-quarters on actors. Uh, we did reduce it knowing that we were reducing a lot of customers and, and also knowing that we were adding, we did specifically add a lot of 
extra other trigger things. But um, we operated about three quarter percent on actors Friday. And that was a learning curve in itself, too. I mean, you know, the fact typically, I mean, we're a big attraction. We're six buildings and two underground passages. It's almost a three quarter of a mile of interactive scaring space. And so there's a lot of space to fill. And typically in some of our bigger rooms, you know, we have two, three, four actors that are inside of one room to, to really tag team those scares. And we couldn't do that because you've got six foot distancing from all of the customers, but then six foot distancing also from all of the cast because none of them are in the same household. And that made things really tricky. And so we had to really go back to, and we, we literally ran equations and, and, and spreadsheets to look at, you know, not only the occupancy load of our customers and the speed that we were putting them in, but the same with our staff as well, that, you know, we couldn't have two or three or four people in a room. We could have one. Um, and that meant that we had to look at other ways to scare. And as Rob was saying, the, the construction team did a really great job. I mean, I, I heard more people say on Friday night, you know, holy crap, it felt like every five seconds there was a scare. And, you know, we're a good 45, 55-minute walkthrough. Um, and so having that many scares happening, knowing that there's reduced actors, we knew we had to have a game plan in place. And so part of that was okay, what can we do within that six feet that's non-actor-based? Is it you know, a sound trigger? Is it audio? Is it an, a knocker on a wall? Is it an air blast? Is it a projection? Is it you know, anything that we could do high-tech that allowed us to do that? And thank goodness we, you know, we, have, we have good friends that work at Fright Props, and we've got some folks that you know, really kind of jumped in to say, hey, yeah, we can help you. Su- we'll supply that for you. Let's get you what you need and get you the mechanisms to be able to make those happen. And our team went to work and and our I think, you know, when Rob went through and, and was showing all of the actors, you know, here's kind of the new toys to play with. I Rob, I don't know if you want to talk about it. I I mean the team was just they were kind of giddy about their new toys. It was a lot of fun. Oh yeah. They love they always love getting new things to play with. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> Any other questions from the hosts? Yeah, I so, have- <clears throat> Go ahead, Storm. Uh, I was going to say, so in general, how, how was the feeling, especially with everything that went on, you know, Friday having a show night and then everything going on with Saturday, you know, with cancellation, having the actors there and everything. How was the overall? Hello? Storm, we lost you. We lost Storm. I- I think I got the gist of what he was asking. Um, the overall feeling of how it was, uh, I think people were really excited. I mean, it, it really did feel like, you know, the bummer part is, is that you love a crowd. Like we love looking at the graveyard. A, a huge part of our photos that we take every year and, and put use for marketing are these full graveyard pictures that are just packed, you know, with thousands of people standing shoulder to shoulder. And, um, and, you know, that part I missed, it, it felt more like, you know, you're, you're, you're not, everyone's not showing up at 10 o'clock or 9.30 like they normally do. You're spreading it out. So you're still getting a decent amount of people there, but it just isn't getting packed and you're kind of missing that vibe a little bit. So, it, you know, but overall, I think people were excited to be able to just get out and do something. Like they, you know, people are just bored. And they want to get out and do something. And, and uh, 
you know, I, I really wondered like what the reception would be. I kind of braced myself when we first announced that we were opening like, Oh, here's, you know, everything's going to happen on social media. We're going to all of a sudden get pounded. And really there was a big showing of support. I can count on one hand how many negative comments we got. So it was, it was pretty, pretty good. Um, staff was very supportive. I, a lot of them, you know, they've been quarantining themselves and they've been staying at home and, and not going out. And I thought, oh, are they not going to want to come out, you know, for halfway to Halloween either? And they felt that even the ones that were the most rigid about it felt that um, that we had put enough safety precautions in place that they felt comfortable coming out. So that was that was a real, like, good show of support there because um, I didn't know, you know, what that was going to look like. Well, that, that kind of actually segued into the question I was going to ask. Uh, and my question was, did you, did you uh, and I think you've already answered this, uh, but I'll throw it out there anyway. Did you have any, um, any pushback uh, from any um, guests or from any of your staff about, some, about everything that was put into place? I from the from the customer level, I don't believe that we had any pushback. We I, I heard one complaint come out the exit that somebody wished that we could have touched them, which I just it made me laugh. You know that anyone would even <laughs> wish. The up. complaint is that we had to follow these new rules. <laughs> yeah, but that was one complaint. Um, the, for the staff, no, they were all very great about it. Like it, they were wonderful. Like. I think it made everyone feel safe and they felt more secure that we were enforcing it. Um, makeup, we, we greatly reduced the amount. Normally we could get about 17 makeup artists up there in the makeup room. Um, and being able to distance everyone, we were limited to seven. And then we had more downstairs. And so it was greatly, greatly reduced. We had makeup artists in... Um, it was kind of funny. I mean, it was almost like riot gear. They they had uh, face shields and masks on and gloves, and they were completely protected because they have to get within that six-foot bubble. So those are things that everyone should look at is how are you going to protect your makeup artists that can't respect the six-foot, you know, distance that, that, you know, a lot of places, a lot of cities are asking for. Um, and, but, yeah, I I felt really good about everything. Okay. Yeah, I would I would echo it. I think even from the front of house side, um, certainly just talking about the back of house. On the front of house side, you know, we hired ten extra people to come help us with cleaning. I mean, we have people who typically aren't doing cleaning jobs cleaning porta potties, and um, and I was concerned that people were going to be like, yeah, yeah, no, thank you. Um, and we kind of we you know we pitched it as this you know collectively like th these are the things that we have to do to be able to open and. You know, sometimes you got to jump through hoops, and sometimes those hoops are on fire. And um, and we did. We talked to the team about from the beginning. This is the PPE that you're going to be wearing. You're going to have gloves. You're going to have a face shield. You're going to have a mask. And um, and if you don't want to work, you know, we don't. We're not going to force you. If you don't want to be here, you don't want to be here. And um, at first, I think I, I same. I was a little apprehensive of of how how people would react to it. Um, but I think when people saw us taking it very seriously uh, and started hearing about our plan and, you know, we released a couple of our videos kind of really outlining the details for both customers and staff. I think people saw it, it was like, you know what, it's kind of the new normal. And if this is what it's going to take to be able to prove that this is, this is how we can open, um, you know, during a, 
I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, the fact that we sold out for two nights in the middle of a damn pandemic is pretty freaking cool. And I'm glad that people came out, but I also know that people are still concerned. And so being able to see that PPE when they came onto the property was very reassuring in just hearing that from customers who confirmed that said, you know, I'm, we're glad you guys are taking it serious. And that's one of the reasons why we came out. So, so there was, there was certainly benefit to, to all of that PPE and all of these extra steps and actions um, that are going to hopefully pay off, not just for us and not just for us in the fall, but hopefully, you know, for our industry overall. You know, it was pretty, pretty cool that we have a zombie bus that actually uh, we don't have great parking at the factory. Um, so we encourage people to park at the gateway. We have a partnership with the, the gateway mall area and we encourage people to park there and then they can ride our zombie bus free. And it's just an added experience and it helps us and it helps, helps the gateway and it helps our customers. And, um, we thought, well, how can we make this bus? I mean, how do you socially distance on a bus? And they, the, you know, the bus drivers actually, it was a challenge accepted and they, they took the bus home and they, when they brought it back, it has all these shower curtain dividers in there. Like line, they've used liners to divide up areas for people to be able to sit kind of in little rooms. And it was pretty awesome. Uh, people loved it. It just added to the experience and, and they really loved it. Kept them clean, kept it clean. Each time a customer would get off, they would, you know, get in there and spray down the curtain and, and wipe down the seats and everything. So it was, you know, it smelled clean, it was clean, and, and people felt comfortable using it. Definitely a lot cleaner than than my car. <laughs> Storm, I think Heidi answered your question before you were kicked off of Skype there. So you'll have to listen to this to um, to hear what she said. But um, I wanted to ask you this. Uh, you invited a lot of people from the haunt industry to come and see you. And I'm just curious how many people were able to come through on Friday because I know a bunch of people were not able to come through on Saturday. And because of that, I think you had a lights on on Sunday to invite people to come in and see. How how many haunt owners or staff from wherever came to see you, and and do you know who may have traveled the farthest to come and uh, attend this? Ooh, uh, the furthest. Um, uh, Spencer. Washington. Yeah, Washington was probably the the farthest that um that I know of. We had Colorado. Yeah, uh, I don't know where our person. Las Vegas. Vegas they were Idaho. Yeah. So I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, we did have a lot of out of state haunts and that was that was probably the most heartbreaking part of it is kind of everyone was really excited on Saturday to be able to show them. You know, it, it was almost like a mini legendary haunt tour, you know, to have all these haunt owners come and, and they were excited and um and you know, not being able to open you know, it was heartbreaking. So we did, you know, Spencer had a great idea last night. We we got everyone on the phone at you know, 11 o'clock at night, and we put okay. a plan. They've all been sent <laughs> home early After, and shocked to death. Yeah, we put together a plan to have everyone, all the people that were still in town, come on Sunday, and and we would give them a fun tour. Yeah, at the end of the day, it was, you know, y'all have traveled here, and you spent all this money to be here, and, and sure, you're buying a ticket from us, and thanks for your support, but, you know, you, you had to flip a bill for a hotel and for a flight, and and it uh, there just there had to be a way and Utah's we're you know we're known for we're known for our hospitality and and I think 
I think part of it was just how can we possibly make this work? And um, and sure enough, at 10 o'clock last night, I had this crazy idea. And Rob and I had been talking about it earlier in the day of, you know, maybe we can try and get you – know, let's invite people over and, and at least get them in to see a zone or two and, and, and kind of see our buildings. And, and I thought, why why not just run an entire show and uh, and just, you know, have a reduced cast? And sure enough, at 10.30 last night, I – Messaged all of our leadership in our group chat and said, "Hey, if anybody can get on a call, I know this is crazy, but just we're gonna let's just go with it." And we decided to open our show in less than twelve hours, and put a whole bunch of things in place. And our tech our tech director got in extra early to make a couple of changes and turn on a couple of lights. And man, who knew that twelve hours later we'd be able to get folks in and actually get it? You know, give them a chance to see the show that they came and and even though it's not full with all of our staff, but Everyone loved it, and you know we we gave them some really cool, fun little goodie packs to take back to their teams, and and hopefully you know they they have some takeaways. Um, we tried our best to kind of walk them through the steps of all the things that we were doing with our customers, so they kind of they knew what we were doing as part of this COVID plan um, and response. And uh, it, it sounds like it was really beneficial. A lot of folks had some good ideas and things that they hadn't thought of yet, and things to put into place for this fall to to be able to survive. So. So a lot of uh, a lot of fancy footwork at the last moment, but I'm glad it it uh, it's amazing what our team can do. I I'm so I'm always impressed by our team, and they it seems like they're every year there's a couple of just small miracles that I I, I honestly am, and don't, I don't know if it's going to work or not, but together we pull it off, and it, we're pretty lucky to have just a really really awesome team. Haunters are nothing if not resourceful. <laughs> any other Indeed. any other questions from the hosts? Um, you know, I got to say this has probably been one of the most comprehensive roundtables where our guests have really just laid it all out on the on the on the show, and there's a lot of great information here that I think a lot of Han owners are going to appreciate. Agreed. Agreed. Good. One of the things we've always said, and and locally we've taken this approach, is that. If everybody is on the same page and, and we're willing to comply, then the industry will, will benefit and, and continue moving forward. But if some people think that they can do things the way they were last year or think that they can do some of the strange, like, touching and grabbing or hands-on things, a lot of that stuff is just going to have to change or else um, the industry could suffer or cities could suffer, you know, and businesses could get shut down because of it. And we really thought it was important to to do it and comply and make sure we could do it safely and, and show everybody else that it can be done. It's one thing to have haunts be worried about weather and all that in regards to messing up their season. The last thing they need is to have the have this. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like it's a lot. And, in, and I'm sure it is. But... If you do it right, it's going to pay off. Pay off in the end. Yeah, I, yeah, I, uh, I would advise starting the conversation now with your health department, or, you know, figuring out kind of what is needed in each local area, but getting that conversation started now so there's no surprises, because um, you know every area is going to be different and have different requirements. Mass gatherings, you know that. If you have to have a permit to open, then, um, you know, that could be a little bit scary. 
but it, you know, again, in our area, mass gathering is anything over a thousand people. So easily we could, you know, be under a thousand people just by, you know, limiting how many people you can have at at one time um, on property. And I think also you know, just that, you know, the conversation already we talked about being proactive. I mean, the reality is, is that this is this has not been cheap. Uh, I mean, to be able to to be able to run an event. I mean, I, we're we're probably you know we're gonna lose a good thirty five forty five k on this um, because at the end of the day, like there was so much planning involved. You know, we're we hired twenty extra staff. I mean, there's so many things that are in play, and I think being able to start those conversations early, um, and and you know collaborate with other haunted houses, figure out a way to be able to make it work. Um, but have those plans ahead of time because you know you may be able to still make the call and say, all right, you know what, let's hold off on that construction, or you know maybe I don't need to buy five of those masks. Maybe it's just one, or maybe it's you know maybe it's none at all. But you know, think about how you can you can invest that capital into something else, and maybe that's going to have to be staffing for the year in, in sanitizing staff or um, or other ways that you're going to be able to utilize that to open. And I think. In the end, people are going to want to come to your attraction. I mean, let's be honest. We're haunted houses. We do this very well. And um, people, you know, people want to come. And if they can at least come, they can get through your gates, they're going to be thankful. And I I think that's going to be the, that's ultimately going to be the game for this year, for 2020. And certainly for folks, I mean, you're right. There are some haunted houses that are calling it for 2020 and you're saying, I'm out. I'm not going to do it or I'm going to close completely. It's just the game's getting too complicated um, but I think folks that can hang in there and, and really start working on these plans ahead of time is great. Um, we're, we're hopefully working on, uh, getting a whole bunch of, you know, we're, we're tying down a lot of loose ends right now to be able to really build a good comprehensive plan from not just the plan, but then also a review of how the execution went. Um, and we'll hopefully have that, um, goodness in the next, I'm hoping in the next week, we'll be able to start working on how we can get that out to folks somehow. So. You, you talked about a 35-page manual. It, would that be something that haunt owners could acquire from you in a PDF form or something? Yeah, that's what we're working on right now. Is um, we, we currently have this 35-page protection, safety, and contingency plan um, that outlines all the details, the metrics, the mitigation efforts. Um, and the goal is to be able to also take our learning moments. I there were certainly plenty of learning moments. I think there were things that we did. I mean, gloves, for example, you know, the reality is most of the customers didn't use gloves. Um, we thought they might want to, but they just, they were like, Oh, these are hot. And I just want to take them off, you know, but we had 5,000 gloves on deck and ready to rock and roll. Um, and so I think there's some learning moments there. Uh, so we're going to try and put those all together in a plan and um, we're going to figure out a way to, to get this out somehow um, so that it's beneficial for folks and, and certainly it'll be beneficial for us long term. So we're we're working on it quick as we can. Any final questions from the co-hosts? Yeah, if the electronic chupacabra don't chase me off this time. Um, <laughs> quickly, you know, of all the challenges and everything that you face and having to do the, you know, a lot of new best practices for this weekend, a lot of new changes in what you've done. Is there something uh, in, in these new changes that, you know, looking at it now, you're going, yeah, you know what? I wish, wish we could have done this. I wish we had done this a couple of years ago. This would have helped make, you know, the haunt better for that. Have you come across any of those? Yeah, I can think of one for sure. Um, Every year it seems like, 
people get the actors sometimes get tired and run down and get what they call the haunt flu or the seasonal bug and haunt plague um and i think just having hand sanitizer as abundantly available as we do now would help i mean we we always have bathrooms and soap available but uh, yeah, there's never been quite as much emphasis on washing your hands as there has been in the last six months. So that's something I think we'll keep doing and keep encouraging even after this is keeping hand sanitizer available a lot. And really, how many, how many, I mean, every single season that haunt plague goes around and you have people <clears throat> that are dedicated, you have dedicated employees that are coming to work sick because they know that, you know, you got to get through it. It's just, it is what it is. It's showtime. And, um, you know, that's kind of changed a little bit where you can't have people coming to work sick and, um, period. And so really, I think that I would be surprised if there were any hot plagues this year because everyone's like going to be so hyper sensitive to any sniffle and making sure that they're distanced and making sure that they're sanitized and that everything's clean, I would I would be shocked. Yeah, I think learning moments for me, uh, certainly signage. Uh, we we really hit signage hard. I mean, our our graphic design, uh, our graphic designer, bless his heart, has just been working nonstop. And of course, you know, like we mentioned earlier, there's all these changes and more changes. And oh, just kidding, this changed, and now we have to change because that changed. We have to change our artwork, which means we have to stop production from our print company. Uh, and then we have to go back to the design board, draw it again, proof it, and then pr- and then send it into the printing company again. And I think, you know, we've always, you know, we always have the rules, don't touch the actors, don't touch the sets. We all have those in our haunts. But we actually created signage specifically that literally has a hand with a zero, you know, a red uh, red circle with a line through it, you know, and it literally says no touching. You put your hands in your pockets. Remember everything you learned in kindergarten. If it's not yours, don't touch it. Um, and put your hands in your pockets or put your hands to your sides. Uh, that seems to actually work really well. Like just the visual of, of having, you know, putting a picture of people with their hands to their sides and people are like, Oh, okay. That makes sense. Uh, we also gave everyone, we're kind of a little bit, a little, just a little bit abrasive about it, but we told everyone in all of our marketing in our pre emails coming on the property, these are the guidelines that we need you to follow. We're, you know, we're doing our best to follow these guidelines from the health department and from the state, and we are not going to think twice about kicking your butt out of here. Um, and and we literally put on all of our signage like this is your warning. Like you don't get another warning. This is it. And um, sure enough, man, I'll, it worked. Yeah. We had some. We had some of the best behaved customers I think I've ever seen in this industry. It was. And it, it was good. So it's definitely some, a good learning moment. I I was talking talking to some staff today and I asked so how are the customers coming through like how did they and they're like they were the most well behaved customers we've ever had um, on Friday afternoon we sent out an email laying out expectations to everyone that had bought a ticket like you know here's the expectations this is what you know what you can do this is what you can't do and and if you do what you can't do you're gonna get thrown out. And, um, you know, in a very nice way. And um, literally, like, that's something that we hadn't ever done before. I mean, we've told them, you know, we have signage all over the factory. We've told them, you know, before they go in. But laying out the expectations in an email to the people that had purchased tickets was something we'd never done before. 
And they were very well-behaved customers, like honestly the best we've ever had. And we and we definitely overkilled that communication purposely, <laughs> you know, between the emails and the social media blasts and the artwork and the signage and and the Facebook videos and, and all these different things from all these different angles to communicate the same message was key. Um, but it it obviously worked. Paid off. That's awesome. And, and yeah, I, I, I'm even kicking myself now that the idea of, you know, something more visual for for no touching. I'm I'm wondering how many instances that might have, you know, prevented over the 10 years of the haunts I've worked at, you know, uh, just as signage and stuff. So that, that's neat and awesome that, uh, you know, some positive good practices are even coming from this type of challenge. Yeah, hopefully we'll all have better customers after after coronavirus. <laughs> You know, as long gone, everyone will still be polite and and respectful. So, oh, we can dream, can't we? Yeah, yeah. wishful thinking. <laughs> if I was a haunt owner in you know Michigan or Pennsylvania or Florida, Texas, wherever, what's the one thing I need to take away from your your past weekend here, as far as getting my haunt ready to go? Uh, I would say that the market is there. Your customers are there. They want to come. You need to get things straight with your city and make sure that uh, you know you have everything detailed down to what they need for you to open and um, and start doing that now. But the market's there. Don't think that people are too scared to come. That's not that, – uh, we didn't experience that at all. People are excited to get out. People want and, this. And we, and we did turn away a lot of people that came without tickets that had not pre-purchased and, and just heard we were open. We turned them away at the gate. We didn't sell any tickets on property, but we had to turn away a lot of people. And I think mine would just be being proactive. Um, I mean, it's at the end of the day, I mean, I remember when we were talking in our owners meeting about, you know, do we really want to release this contingency plan and send it to the state and send it to the county? And um, you know, in my past years of running hotel and, and casino restaurants and private consulting on this stuff, the reality is, is that the health department will always be a little bit more lenient on you, especially if you show that you're doing your due diligence and you're being preventative rather than reactive. And I think, um, you know, don't be afraid of, of folks that are going to say, no, we're not going to let you do this. And if you open the door, that it's not going to happen. Um, quite the opposite has happened and where they've said, you know, thanks for reaching out to us. Um, thanks for sending us your plan. Uh, at the end of the day, they're your friend, whether they, whether they are or not, whether you want them to be or not. But if you can get them on your side and at least show that you're doing what you can to make their job easier, I mean, their job is to keep people safe. So if you can show that you're supporting their job and they get to look like superheroes, win-win. So just get on that, get on it now. Yeah, and, and honestly, like, some of these things, we, when they did send an email back that said, well, what about this, what about this, what about this, and it was already covered in the plan, which kind of let us know that they they were speed reading it. Um, yeah. I think a lot of times they just want to check boxes, and they're happy with that. And knowing that you've gone above and beyond, and that you, you know, if they have a concern, you've already addressed it, um, kind of... I think makes them feel a little bit more secure. Like, oh yeah, they they're on top of it. We let's move on to a place, you know, a different business that that maybe isn't on top of it. So you know, just by having that communication with them and letting them know, yep, we're on top of it. You don't have to worry about us. We'll we'll make sure it's done. Um, it gives them the 
the you know assurance that everything's good there. Move move along. And, and you know, you think about as a brand. I mean, how much money you put into your brand and in, into that you know that specific market of your haunt. And there's nothing worse than bad PR. Um, and there's nothing worse. Uh, for you personally as a haunt owner to be able to to hear someone say that your attraction is unsafe, right? I mean, we, we know what happened in Poland after the after the escape room, and that completely residually affected not every single escape room in the world. Um, and it did for haunted houses as well, whether they had an escape room or not. And I think the same thing's going to happen right now, that everyone's got to take it serious. Um, if, you, if you're going to open, you need to be, you know, get, put your game face on. You got to be able to get through this because it, it's just going to take one or two slip ups from someone in the nation to, um, to make this look bad for everybody. And then there's a bigger issue involved. And so we all have to do our, our due diligence. It's, you know, Fear Factory is known at the Haunted Attraction Association. Now that I'm a board member and I represent Fear Factory there. You know, we we spend so much time on the chaos certification and being able to to have this certification of safety. And we I think we have over 20 staff now that have gone through that certification program that HAA offers through Transworld and a few of the other the, a few other uh, conferences. And safety is important. It's number one. And if your haunt gets that stigma of not being safe, you might as well close your doors because that's going to be a hard one to rebound from. So. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we hope you've gotten something from this. If you are a haunt owner, you know, hopefully you're coming out of this with a good sense of optimism that, uh, hey, if these guys can do it, you can too. It's just going to take a little bit more diligence and a lot of work and a lot of hand sanitizer, apparently. <laughs> but uh, this is the time of the show we like to call the plugs. So whichever one of you would like to plug away for people who want more information about the Salt Lake Fear Factory via websites or social medias. Um, we understand you, you will not be um, rescheduling the postponed Saturday until hopefully September, early October, whenever you are opening for the season. But uh, where can people get more information on that? And if you're a haunt owner and you're interested in possibly obtaining a, a PDF or document of the uh, safety manual that you're putting together with all those 35 pages of points, how can they get more information? Well, uh, awesome. I Fear Factory SLC is our Facebook handle and our Instagram and Twitter. Actually, we don't do a lot on Twitter, but Instagram and Facebook uh, – we're always, we're always on. We're always checking. You can always email us at info at fearfactorysllc.com. And our website is fearfactorysllc.com. My name is Heidi Dunfield. And, and uh, if you want to look me up on Facebook and friend request me, you're free to ask me any questions. And same for my husband, Rob Dunfield. I think it's Robert Dunfield, actually, yeah. on Facebook, Robert. Um, and, and Spencer Terry. Um Spencer Terry, our general manager, we're happy to answer any questions for you and, you know, what we did. Obviously, things may be different here than where they, where you are, so, you know, but I, I can tell you what we did, and I'll be brutally honest. I mean, things were good. They weren't great. I, I mean, okay, I said that wrong. Things were good, and they were, it went amazing, but is it going to be a record-breaking season? I doubt it. You know, I mean, it's there's going to be a lot of work, a lot of challenges ahead, but it's it's doable, and you know, it's keeping yourself in the game that that's important. There you go, folks. Well, we want to uh, 
thank our amazing guests for their time. I mean, you know, obviously you put a lot of time and effort into this and you only got to put in through half the event, but you know, the Sunday walkthrough was probably a lot of fun. But uh, we want to thank Rob and Heidi Dunfield and Spencer Terry for coming on with us to talk about the Salt Lake Fear Factory in Salt Lake City, Utah. And again, folks, haunt season probably unofficially begins in about three and a half months. So now is the time to start talking to your uh, local officials and finding hand sanitizer and toilet paper because who knows what's going to happen in the next few months. But I also want to thank our great hosts for their contributions to this roundtable, including Storm. Great conversations. You know, this is a lot of a lot of hope for industry, a lot of things to pay attention tonight. And, you know, I I think everybody's got to get out there and get their uh, I Survive Coronavirus 2020 Fear Factory halfway <laughs> to Halloween t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there was somebody who made a post on our Instagram. It actually cracked me up. It said, uh, I, I, Fear Factory, you know, can make it through the pandemic and open up. And then it said, riots, hold my beer or something. So <laughs> hopefully that's out of the way. And, and uh, you know, we actually had an earthquake not that long ago, too. So hopefully, you know, that's all out of the way. 2020 can be awesome from here on out. <laughs> we also want to thank Meat Hook Jim. I think a lot of haunt owners are going to appreciate the fact that you guys not only pioneered this given the situation, but spearheaded this and have done something so comprehensive that, and you're willing to help them. I think that's going to be the biggest thing. So thank you so much for what you guys have done. We also thank want you. to, we also want to thank our instrumentalist Jerry Vane. You mentioned you guys had earthquakes on top of all of this. But don't yeah. you have Yellowstone out there? I know that was one of my first Okay, June screwed. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Drew Badger out of Charlotte, and I want to reiterate something they said to every haunt owner out there who no doubt does it, but now is the time to stock up on alcohol. This is the Roundtable of Terror here on The Big Scary Show. And if you decide to get an alcohol and you're down in the, in the Utah area, please come down to Total Wine and more. In Nevada, we have all the alcohol you need because we saw all of you from Utah every weekend. Thank you. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm serious. <laughs> I am so serious. I lost count of how many motorhomes were in the parking lot with you know Utah license plates loading up on booze to take back to Utah. <laughs> Oh yeah, I believe it. It's it's Utah license plates getting the booze from Nevada and the marijuana from Colorado. Right? No, well, you also got the you, they they have weed in in, uh, in Nevada as well now. So, oh I mean, yeah, we, we, Nevada, Las Vegas has the world's largest weed store. Not surprised. That's funny. That's where all of our that's where all our tax dollars are. We could be making more in tax dollars, but it's all going to Nevada and Colorado. And 7-Elevens goes all the munchies. Exactly. <laughs>
Are you looking for a comprehensive ticketing solution for your haunted attraction? HauntPay has the answer. We skip the features you don't need and focus on the ones you like, such as timed ticketing and repeat time slots, variable ticket types, bundle and combo tickets, social media discounts, and now featuring all-in-one options including managing your tickets online and at the door, as well as upselling and managing your merchandise and concessions with a comprehensive report on everything at the end of the night. Head on over to hauntpay.com and get started in 60 seconds for free. Van Helsing's Curse. Cry Little Sister on The Big Scary Show.
Dr. Frankenstein found the secret of life, but he lost control. Now, in a screen thriller, Frankenstein's castle of freaks, his monstrous creations, fantastic creatures break free. See Rosanna Brazzi, Michael Dunn, Edmund Purdom, and international beauty Christiane Royce in Frankenstein's Castle of Freaks. Rated PG, parental guidance suggested. Broadcasting to you from the darkest reaches of the earth. This is a haunt minute. And now, with this week's commentary, Storm. Alright, so you know, we've all had to face some difficulties and some challenges with this whole pandemic thing, and you know, the lockdown, it's been challenging for us all. But, you know, we really got easy compared to the challenge of one group. Yes, there is a orchestra that is currently trapped in a haunted castle in Germany. And they have been for about the past 80 days. <laughs> yes, if you thought that your, you know, coronavirus pandemic situation was worse, these, these ones win. First of all, it's this um, group from Bolivia, and they're an experimental pan flute group. So that's, that's the first problem there. You're stuck in it experimental pan flute group. So back in March, they came over to Germany. They had a couple concerts lined up. Yay, fun, great big thing. This is a once-in-a-lifetime experience and stuff. Then the coronavirus thing started happening. The concerts were canceled. They scrambled to get back to Bolivia. Bolivia shut their borders, canceled their planes. The embassy was no help. And so they were stuck at this place that they were staying at, which is a large guest house and rehearsal facility on a sprawling, like, 500-acre haunted castle. Um, this is the um, Rheinsberg Palace of, uh, of Frederick the Great. Anyway, this castle? Haunted. They're stuck there, nothing to do. They practice their woodland experimental music, and these are pan flutes, you know, like Zemphia, the pan flute, ah, ha, ha. They, for like six hours of a day, and, you know, they wander around the castle grounds. Oh, yes, did we mention that the castle grounds also have 23 wolf packs patrolling it? Yes. So we're trapped in a castle by ourselves. I don't even know if they got Wi-Fi or Netflix or anything. We've brought our early spring, you know, German March clothing, so as the temperature warms up, they're all stuck with heavy clothing anyway to practice the pan flute for six hours a day in a haunted castle in Germany. And they're not even allowed to play soccer by themselves on the front lawn before the police break them up in Germany. So, yeah, our situation, not as bad as these, you know, Bolivian orchestra. And they're still trying to get back. They haven't even made it back yet with even things loosening up. So... Good luck to them, and, you know, it just goes to show. We, we got some difficulties and challenges, and especially with the haunt season coming up, but, you know, it ain't nothing compared to being trapped as a pan flute artist in a castle in Germany that's haunted, surrounded by wolves. I just love saying that. So until next time, keep every minute scary.
tune in next episode for another Haunt Minute. And in the meantime, share your opinions on the Big Scary Show Facebook page and on Twitter at Big Scary Storm. Hi, this is Josh Gates from Travel Channel's Expedition Unknown, reminding you to send all hate mail to storm at bigscaryshow.com. gentlemen it is time for the gruesome giveaway for the month of june sponsored by our very good friends at screamlinestudios.com please go over to their website and get yourself in the holiday mood by picking out some of their tremendous items or if you're lucky you could win one right here we're going to ask you a question in just a second the answer is in the show and here's a hint you might want to listen to Weister this time and send us that answer along with your name and number to contest at BigScaryShow.com before midnight on June 15th. The question for the June gruesome giveaway is, What 1979 TV special featured Judd Hirsch playing the role of Dracula? If you think you know that answer, send it to us along with your name and number to contest at BigScaryShow.com before midnight on June 15th, and you just might be a winner for a very cool prize from our friends at StreamlineStudios.com. Previous winners and family members of Big Scary Show employees are not eligible to win, but as to everyone else out there, good luck. Welcome to yet another edition of the Weister's Haunted Vista, and here we are in June. You sunk my battleship! <laughs> yeah, it's starting to feel like that, isn't it? You don't want any part of this. 
too late were attached. That's right! Regardless of all of that, this month on the Vista, I begin a multi-part series called The Horror of It All. And while we're on the subject of unspeakable horrors, I was absent from the last episode primarily as my hard drive decided to commit harakiri. Ah! Anyone, and that probably includes a good percentage of this audience, who's had to contend with this before, knows what I'm talking about. Building from the ground up is not a lot of fun, and, well, I'm just glad I'm done. Dirty pool, old man. I like it. Anyway, getting to the subject at hand, this piece is going to stretch over many, many episodes and many, many months. Essentially, the horror at all is going to be my definitive 100 films essential for Halloween. Yes, yes, thank you very, very much. Of course, this list is subject to change, especially when I change my mind. Do you know what you're full of? Nothing healthy, I guarantee you that. Okay, all kidding aside, some of my choices are going to surprise, not to mention probably offend quite a few people. Remember, I'm not a fan of the slasher genre. And some people are just going to be scratching their heads at a few of these going, what was he smoking? Go away! Now, I've taken more than a few cracks at this in my time here at the Big Scary Show and a few other spots, not to mention my blog spot page, The Vicer's Halloween Haunt Journal. Shameless plug now over. Please, simmer down! And part of this will be taken from that said blog spot page. In fact, the February 2016 entry. But at the same time, I've never really done it on this large scale. As I said, some of this may surprise you, some of it may offend you, but I hope it will entertain you and maybe give you some new has the burn. Please let me know if there's some other way we can screw up tonight. And with that in mind, let's start with number 100. Yeah, why not? And that would be Tim Burton's Frankenweenie. Now, I'm referring to the 2012 film, not the uh, 1984 original that he did the short, the more expanded version, which is an obvious but amusing riff on Frankenstein and Old Yeller. Burton expanded his short into a feature-length film that works surprisingly well for my money. Atypical of his creepy and cute style, this flick is loaded with references to the horror buffs. You don't have to look too hard, there's plenty of them. And for the record, the Gamera reference cinched it for me. Now granted, in terms of this sort of thing, this probably isn't the best piece that is representative of Tim Burton's work. I far prefer Nightmare Before Christmas and Corpse Bride, by the way. But it's sweet, it's kind, it has that old yellow touch to it, and it won't offend a lot of children. I have yet to see a kid freak out on this film. And just for the record, Stranger Things, that lovely Netflix series we're all so fond of, which I'm going to talk about one of these days. Stranger Things borrows a few ideas and concepts from Frankenweenie. Look carefully, gentle listener. You may notice a thing or two when you watch them back to back. But that is a conversation for another segment. In the meantime, here's number 99. Up to this point, 2020 doesn't have a heck of a lot to recommend it, does it? As many of you are aware, I've often railed against Universal Studios constantly trying to reboot their classic monster series, and overall, while they've had some successes, nothing is going to make this list. Up to this year, 2020 saw the remake of The Invisible Man. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have not seen this film, and I was been meaning to review it for a long time and never got around to it, so here's my opportunity. It is smart, slick, 
updated beautifully and yes the main character is still Jack Griffin but it uses technology to a very large degree to achieve the invisibility thing I won't give too much away but this thing is full of twists and turns and all kinds of plot devices that will surprise you and you just don't know what's going to happen until the curtain finally falls highly recommended probably the best horror film so far in this rather um slipshod year if you know what I mean yeah 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 I would have rated this film a bit higher on this list, but there are so many other gruesome goodies on it that it just had to take a lower position. Still, don't let that deter you from seeing it. This update of The Invisible Man is well worth your time and effort, not to mention the fact this is one of the few reboots of the classic Universal series I'll actually stand behind. And now to number 98. You may strategically place your wonderful lips upon my posterior and kiss it repeatedly. And with that little quip from Johnny Depp, that brings us to the 2012 Tim Burton reimagining of Dark Shadows. Now, I am painfully aware that I'm probably going to catch all kinds of crap from fans of the original series and the 90s reboot for being a heretic. Aww, so you do think about me. Yeah, but I do enjoy this film quite a bit. I mean, it can't make up its mind. It's a bit schizophrenic whether it wants to be a horror film or a camp send-up of the series, but at the same time, it has charms all its own. Johnny Depp does a great job as Barnabas Collins, not to mention the fact Helen Bottom Carter has a really amusing role as the psychiatrist of the Collins family, and Michelle Pfeiffer does a wonderful job as the matriarch. Still, a great cast doesn't make up for a lot of plot holes, and I agree, the film does have problems, but it's a visual treat, it's a lot of fun, and it has a great climax to it. They were planning a sequel, but it didn't make enough money at the box office, but still, for what it's worth as a little time period piece and a salute to the original show, take note of the quick cameo of the four original cast members that show up at the ball, it's a lot of fun and I highly recommend this thing and it makes a great date movie too. I speak from experience. <laughs> On to number 97. Werewolves, teenagers, rock and roll music, not to mention the first theatrical appearance of Michael Landon. How's that for a winning combination? Boys, you're in big trouble. 1957 brought us the first of the teenage movies. I'm of course referring to none other than I Was a Teenage Werewolf, the first theatrical appearance of Michael Landon, who does a very good job in here. Also featuring Whit Bissell and Robert Griffin, who appeared later on as the father figure in Lost in Space. Regardless of this, this is an interesting take on the werewolf myth with Whit Bissell counseling troubled teenager Landon and doing a kind of regressive experiment which brings out the werewolf in Landon. It has some genuine scares to it, and the makeup is a nice update of Lon Chaney Jr. and Jack Pierce's Wolfman look, and there's some surprising shocks in here as well. I'm not certain if I would show this to little kids. Several of the central characters do die in this film, and it's kind of a dark atmosphere overall. Incidentally, this was the first of a trio of films, including I Was a Teenage Frankenstein and Blood of Dracula, which was also going to be originally titled I Was a Teenage Dracula or Vampire, but for box office considerations, Blood of Dracula was adopted. This is the best of the three, and as you can probably tell, when you keep recycling the same formula, you get diminishing returns. And to be fair, Frankenstein and Dracula are not bad films, but Teenage Werewolf really cinches it for me. And now on to number 96. <laughs> 
You would think with all that gothic claptrap I would be introducing something of a haunted castle, but no. We're going to take a look at a 1960 film called Kaltiki, the Immortal Monster. This is sort of a blob-type film with a doomsday ethic running through it. It's also quite gory. Essentially, it's about a group of scientists who encounter some Mayan Romans and their death god, Kaltiki, which turns to be out some sort of a microorganism that can reproduce itself from the smallest pieces growing bigger and bigger and bigger. Kaltiki is also radioactive, not to mention the fact it dissolves flesh upon contact. This was kind of a forerunner of a lot of the gory Italian cinema that came around the 1980s with all the Dawn of the Dead ripoffs. But as it stands, it's not the greatest of films, but it has some very disturbing images, and I wouldn't show this to little kids, and this one scared me half to death as a little boy back in the 1970s. I did not see all that gore coming. Highly recommended if you're into blob-type films, but try not to laugh too much at Keltiki himself. He looks like an old, dirty, used canvas bag. Okay, on to number 95. Halloween season used to bring out all manner of wonderful television specials back in the day. Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids, a reunion of the Addams Family, and of course, the benchmark itself, it's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. But 1979 saw a really quirky, amusing little piece called The Halloween That Almost Wasn't. Also known on Rift Tracks as The Night Dracula Saved the World, it featured Judd Hirsch as Count Dracula, and Marriott Hartley as the Halloween witch who come into conflict because Hartley's character wants a little more attention. Also featuring cast that included Henry Gibson, Jack Riley, and John Shuck, it's a cute little children's program that brings together all the classic monsters in kind of an Abbott and Costello soupy sale sort of romp. This is something you don't see on television anymore, but it really charmed me silly, and it was a lot of fun, and there's some very interesting adult moments in it as well. Catch some of the humor going down between the characters. Watch this back-to-back with the Paul Lind Halloween special. You know, the one with Kiss playing Detroit Rock City and Beth in it. And you've got a wonderful evening's entertainment for Halloween season right then and there. And next on our list, well, this one really doesn't need much of an introduction at all. Who you gonna call? Ghostbusters! Uh, think you better call? Summer of 84 and this film and Gremlins really showed that horror and spooky stuff was in a big way again. Ghostbusters featuring Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray really upped the comedy and along with their foils of Rick Moranis and Sigourney Weaver, not to mention some really well done special effects, made this a visual treat and a good for the funny bone. I haven't seen the film in many, many years, but it's a great family movie for the season, and it comes with my highest recommendations. Not to mention Slimer eating all those hot dogs and all the apparitions popping up in New York City. Hey, man, you just can't pass on that. All right, speaking of kitty films, number 93. Welcome to Hotel Transylvania. I've often mentioned films that you could show your kids to get them into the Halloween and monster thing, and the first two of this trilogy are definitely worth their weight in gold in that regard. By the way, avoid Hotel Transylvania 3 at all costs. It is dismal, just a bunch of sight gags and really bad puns strung together. Really lacked the plot of the first two films. One and two could be basically seen as 
two parts of the same film, and that's pretty much how it plays out. And if you're shied off by the notion that these are kiddie films, trust me, there's plenty of adult humor to keep mom and dad chuckling throughout all these sight gags and flash-in-the-pan computer effects. Add to that Fifth Harmony's hit song from it, I'm in love with a monster, just sweeten the pot a little bit. The films do have strong messages about family, acceptance and things of that nature and it really is something that applies to the universal monsters as well the conclusion of the first film is a love letter to people like me who grew up on those films but there's strong elements of acceptance and things like that that i mentioned strong throughout both movies the third one as i said before is just a dismal mess but the first two films would make for some very good family quality time during halloween season itself and now that I'm done preaching, on to number 92. In terms of horror movies, John Carpenter has had three classics. Obviously the original 1978 Halloween and his 1982 remake of The Thing. The Fog itself from 1980 is a fine example of what Carpenter can do in terms of effects, pacing, suspense, and gore. This one, like I said, it's not quite to the level of the prior two films, but it is a classic, and it has a nice little twist ending as well. The 2011 or 2012 remake, I can't remember, it faded from my memory as quickly as I got out of the theater. This thing absolutely butchered the original film, but that's besides the point. Drama and atmosphere are the call of the day in this film, and the vengeful pirates make an interesting villain. And as I said, there's that nice little twist ending at the back of the film, not to mention having Jamie Lee Curtis in another one of his movies, plus Hal Holbrook and a number of other notable actors and actresses. Very nice piece of work. Highly recommended for the creepy evening around the TV with the popcorn. And that brings us to number 91, and also my final selection for this particular segment. It's going to get ugly. Okay, maybe not that bad. 2012's The Woman in Black, an attempt by Hammer Studios to relaunch their flagging fortunes, actually is one of the best ghost stories I've seen in a long, long time. Featuring Daniel Radcliffe fresh off his Harry Potter streak, it is sympathetic, Hitchcockian, and very moody. There's not a lot of gore or shock value in here, but it definitely establishes an atmosphere that draws you in and tells you a really good story. I was very saddened that Hammer didn't follow up on this film with the same kind of high quality. I mean, this really recalls their 50s and 60s glory days. And I never really found out why things didn't turn around for them, because this is a remarkable piece of work. Not for kids, and not for the faint of heart, but bone-chillingly slow and filled with mystery. Highly recommended. And next time around, we'll pick up at number 90. I spent a lot of time putting this together, so we're going to be spending quite a bit of time this summer going over this, and I hope you get as much enjoyment for listening to it as I did putting it together. Drop me a line at erweister at woh.rr.com or look me up on Facebook on Eric Weister. I accept all comments, critiques, and suggestions, and I'm more than willing to have a conversation with anybody who pats me on the shoulder or what have you not. I've also mentioned my blogspot page, the Weister Halloween Haunt Journal, earlier in the show, but I'll do it again. Full of news and reviews you can use and abuse. So, until next time, everyone out there, be safe, be careful, have a 
wonderful summer. See you again in two weeks, and always remember Svengoli's cradle, and brush your fangs, comb your face, drink your milk before it clots, bites mama goodnight, and always remember I hid the body because it had to be buried quickly due to the summer heat rolling in and rot and decay where it's starting to appear. Everyone enjoy the summer, keep working on those props, and we'll see you again in two weeks. Take care until then.
dress up your show? Need to pump new life into old props? Just want to show something no one else has? Do what Alice Cooper, Distortions Unlimited, and A-list haunters all over the world do. Wear Von Karen. Durable, handcrafted, dependable, year after year. Von Karen. When you scare enough to wear the very best. Von Karen.com. V-O-N. C-H-A-R-O-N dot com As we slide back into the swamp where we hid the body, we would like to thank the following sponsors. Screamline Studios Dark Imaginings Von Caron Productions Haunt Pay Ticket Leap and Creepy Collection we would also like to thank Virgil Franklin, master of the Ether Muse, as well as the Fordga hosts, including Storm, Rants and More, HauntMinute.com, The Unknown Scare Actor, Actor Trainer and Traveling Actor Troop. For more information, check out MallMonsters.com, that's M-A-U-L Monsters.com. Drew Badger, Actor Trainer and Consultant. Find out more at rabidbadger.org. And Jerry Vane, the Hauntstrumentalist, for all your heavy metal and haunt needs. JerryVane.com. And finally, you, the listener. Without you, we are nothing. The Big Scary Show is copyright Big Scary Show LLC, and no rebroadcast of this show may be made without express permission of the owners. All music used on The Big Scary Show is used with expressed permission of the artists themselves.